Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 30. We're going to be taking a look at Acts chapters 10 through 15 this week uh, under the, the concept of the Word of God grew and multiplied. That's the theme for the week. You know, as I thought about all the things associated with that, in particular that theme, the Word of God grew and multiplied, I couldn't help but remember Alma's comparison to uh, the Word as a seed and, and how in order for it to grow, it needed to be kind of treated like a plant. Well, that caused me to think of my experience with plants, and it just so happens I have several plants around my home, many of which have done well, others which have not done so well. <laughs> I have some down in my main living area, and I seem to remember enough, at least, to water them, to make sure that the windows are open so they get enough sun, to kind of cultivate the ground a little bit, and so far they have done fantastic. Well, there's a plant up in my daughter's room, and since I only have them half the time, she's not there to take care of it. I'm not in her room very often, so I forget about it, and it has been one that has been a challenge to be able to basically keep alive. Every time I finally do remember to go in and check on it, it seems like another uh, few branches or leaves uh, have begun to wither away and eventually have to be plucked out. Well, for me, as I thought about this, it's a great metaphor for so many different things, for one, how the church is meant to grow and develop here after Christ's crucifixion. It's going to take some work. And it's going to take some time for it to begin to grow and to multiply. Um, it's the same as with our individual faith. A lot of the things as you go through and, and watch over the, the course of these next several weeks as the church begins to kind of take hold and take root and begin to grow, I think it is helpful to think of it growing like a plant and all the things and watch for basically all the things that are needed to help it to grow and to get that root deep in itself so that it doesn't wither, that it doesn't decay and die. And you'll watch as the apostles struggle to keep it nurtured in such a way that it doesn't begin to wither and and decay and become corrupted. It's a challenge for them. And as you identify those things that are helping the church to grow as well as causing it to struggle, I think you'll see some interesting and some great parallels for yourself and for your own life and for your own faith. We're all in that same kind of mindset modality of of helping our faith to grow and to multiply. And it's many of the same things that we need to be doing that the apostles are doing here with the early church. To give you a little bit of the background and the context surrounding these chapters, let's just go in and, and read the description that we have for ourselves that reads, During his mortal ministry, Jesus Christ often challenged people's long-held traditions and beliefs. This didn't stop after he ascended into heaven, as he continued to guide his church by revelation. For example, during Jesus' life, his disciples preached the gospel only to fellow Jews. But soon after the Savior died, and Peter became the leader of the church on earth, Jesus Christ revealed to Peter that the time was right for the gospel to be preached to non-Jews. The idea of sharing the gospel with Gentiles doesn't seem surprising today. So what's the lesson in this account for us? Well, perhaps one lesson is that in both the ancient and modern church, a loving Savior guides his chosen leaders. Continuing revelation is a vital sign of the true and living church of Jesus Christ. 
Like Peter, we must be willing to accept continuing revelation and live by every word of God, including all that he has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and the many great and important things he will yet reveal pertaining to the kingdom of God, as it describes in our articles of faith. It's a great introduction, and again, even in just this, you can identify that one of the key aspects of this church being led and being able to grow and develop is continuing revelation. And have we not touched on that multiple times, how important revelation is to our individual lives and growth? With President Nelson saying multiple times that in the coming days it will not be possible for us to survive spiritually without that personal direction, revelation, um, and guidance from the Holy Spirit. So those kind of things are the things we want to look at. We'll take a look a little bit more deeply into the revelation that Peter had, kind of open the gospel to the Gentiles. But here are three of the key principles that I want to share with you from this week's study, in addition to all the other things that I hope that you'll be able to find as you go through these, these chapters. The first one, I want to take a look at Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. In this particular chapter, we're introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, but a centurion of a band called the Italian Band. But basically an individual that has a great relationship with God, one that's based on on prayer and experience with him. So much so that at some point an angel appears to him and tells him to send some servants to find Peter and receive instruction from him. Well, while these servants are traveling to find Peter, Peter ends up going up on a roof of the building that he's on and has a vision of a giant net coming down out of heaven, filled with all manner of animals, both those in which the Jewish law pronounces clean, as well as those that had been pronounced unclean. I'm sure initially this revelation was a little confusing to Peter, though he may have had some ideas of what the Lord was trying to communicate to him. The meaning wasn't fully realized until after he had an experience with Cornelius, who shared his experience with finding Peter. It's at this point that I think Peter finally begins to get it, and he understands that what the Lord is communicating is really a fundamental shift in the way that the gospel is meant to be taken to the world, that no longer is it meant to be just kept within those that are Jews, but now it is to be taken to the Gentiles as well. I just want to take a look at these verses and this vision in particular for this particular principle. Verse 9, it reads, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up into the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him. And it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. There's a lot of different principles, you guys, we can take a look at here. Uh, Anything from the way that God uses our current situation to kind of help teach us and help reveal things to us, as well as the nature of repetition when it comes to revelation. But one of the things I want to focus on for this one is the absolute importance and vitalness of being led and guided and directed by revelation, especially as it relates to the church. 
this vision is really an example, a prime example of the ancient church being led by revelation. And that is a key, maybe the key fundamental on which Christ's church, both then and Christ's church now, is built upon and is meant to be guided by. And we've experienced this already in multiple ways as being members of, of the church. From the word of wisdom to polygamy ending to priesthood being made available to every worthy male, regardless of race or color. Uh, we witnessed the missionary age being lowered, uh, smaller temples being announced and built, preach my gospel being revealed, the proclamation of the family, the living Christ, even come follow me. Church being reduced to two hours, women being allowed to stand as witnesses to ordinances, and, and there's so much more to come. It really is an exciting time to be a part of the church and to recognize the absolute importance and how crucial it is that this church is led by direct and continuing revelation. That's what's so exciting about being led by a living prophet is because we know that through that prophet we are led and being led through revelation. There's a story that's told in the early days of the church, particularly I think at Kirtland, where some of the leading brethren and the presiding councils of the church met secretly and tried to, to scheme as to how they could get rid of the prophet Joseph's leadership. Well, they made the mistake of inviting Brigham Young to one of these secret meetings, and he rebuked them. After he'd heard the purpose of their meeting, this is in part of, of what he said. This was quoted by President Ezra Taft Benson. He said, You cannot destroy the appointment of a prophet of God, but you can cut the thread that binds you to the prophet of God and sink yourselves to hell. This is a pretty direct statement, a pretty bold statement, but that doesn't surprise and shouldn't surprise us coming from Brigham Young. He was adamant about following the prophet because he knew and recognized the importance of receiving revelation. It's that revelation that he warned the other brethren that they would cut themselves from if they failed to follow the prophet. And I've always loved what President Wilford Woodruff declared to help us to have full confidence in the direction that the prophet is leading the church when he said, the Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. It's not in the program. It's not in the mind of God. If I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place, and so he will any other man who attempts to lead the children of men astray from the oracles of God and from their, du their duty. President Harold B. Lee said something very similar when he said, Keep your eye upon him whom the Lord called. And I say to you now, knowing that I stand in this position, you don't need to worry about the president of the church ever leading people astray because the Lord would remove him out of his place before he would ever allow that to happen. President Hinckley, more, a little bit more recently, added this, that the church is true. Those who lead it have only one desire, and that is to do the will of the Lord. They seek his direction in all things. There is not a decision of significance affecting the church and its people that is made without prayerful consideration, going to the fount of all wisdom for direction. Follow the leadership of the church. God will not let his work be led astray. The Lord himself, in Doctrine and Covenants section 138, said, What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth pass away, my word shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. 
Young people, I want you to understand the absolute significance that the church is led by revelation. And that is why it is so important that we have and why we should be so grateful that we have a living prophet to lead and guide us. That being said, think about how much Satan would absolutely love to cut you off from that revelation by cutting you off from the prophet. And to help with that, President Benson, in a landmark talk he gave years ago, titled The 14 Fundamentals of Following the Prophet, basically gave 14 principles, 14 truths that we could hold on to to keep us always close to God's prophet and to that direct revelation. I just want to share these with you, and I want you to listen and maybe just try to remember one or two that really stick out to you. Number one was he said that the prophet is the first fundamental, is the only man who speaks for the Lord in everything. Number two, the living prophet is more vile to us than the standard works. That's an interesting one. Number three, the living prophet is more important to us than a dead prophet. It's a great one too. Number four, the prophet will never lead the church astray. Number five, the prophet is not required to have any particular earthly training or credentials to speak on any subject or act on any matter at any time. Number six, the prophet does not have to say, thus saith the Lord, to give us scripture. Number seven, the prophet tells us what we need to know, not always what we want to know. Number eight, the prophet is not limited by men's reasoning. Number nine, the prophet can receive revelation on any matter, temporal or spiritual. Number ten, the two groups who have the greatest difficulty in following the prophet are the proud, who are learned, and the proud, who are rich. Number twelve, the prophet will not necessarily be popular with the world or the worldly. Number thirteen, the prophet and his counselors make up the first presidency, the highest quorum in the church. And lastly, number 14, the prophet and the presidency, the living prophet and the first presidency. Follow them and be blessed. Reject them and suffer. I have always loved those 14 fundamentals, and in so many ways they have helped keep me close to God's prophet so that I always have access to that continual revelation. In fact, if you look at it, every story in Scripture is really a testament to the blessings that come from following the prophet or the suffering that comes from not following them. It's one of the reasons I love this particular story in the New Testament is because it shows the, the importance and the significance of having a prophet to lead and guide and direct the church through revelation. This was a major shift in their thinking, in their missionary efforts, in what they were used to doing, and it could only come from Peter, the prophet, and the revelation that he received directly from Christ. Now, here's a few questions for you to consider on this particular topic. Number one, has there been any direction from our prophets that has been controversial to others or to you that maybe has been a little bit more difficult to follow? What can you do if the prophet gives counsel or direction that is hard to understand or follow that can help you to better follow it? What stories or principles from the scriptures can you draw faith from to help you in those situations? Which of the 14 fundamentals that I just went through resonates the most with you? Which of those 14 fundamentals do you need to work on following and adopting the most? And lastly, how does this story of Peter receiving direction and revelation to start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles apply to us today? What other lessons or principles can you draw from it 
to help us in our situation as members of Christ Church today. Now, principle number two, I want to take a look a little bit more in depth with this story and the results of it, where, again, dealing with Cornelius and Peter, Cornelius in verse 28 recounts his experience that he had with an angel. And this, in part, is what helps Peter to kind of come to understand this vision that he had. Cornelius has just finished explaining his experience with the angel and how the angel told him to go and find Peter and that Peter would give him instruction on what he needed to do next and how he could grow as an individual and grow his faith and come to know Christ better. In verse 28, Peter says to Cornelius, And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. It's really against their culture at the time to have any kind of association with anyone outside of just their own culture. But he says, But God hath shewed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter's starting to understand what this is all about. And Cornelius, in explaining a little bit more about his experience with the angel, then in verse 34, Peter says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. I would encourage you to mark both those verses, both verse 28 and 34, where it kind of presents that theme or that idea or that revelation that one, God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean, that all of us are equal together. And of truth, in verse 34, I perceive that God is no respecter of nations. He says in verse 35, But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. I just love those verses, and I love this thought about those that are different than us. While I was raising my girls while they were younger, I always tried to teach them the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, those things that could help them and those things that could hurt them. It was kind of funny to watch as they then would take those lessons and try to apply them to the world that they were growing up in. As an example, I I tried to teach them about the dangers of drugs and smoking and how they weren't good for them. But I noticed after teaching them about those dangers uh, of those particular things that the first few times they saw someone smoking, they would just stare at them as if they couldn't believe that someone would be doing something bad like that. They would say things to me like, look, dad, that guy's smoking. But the way they would say it and the way that they would look at them told me that they were equating what that person was doing with who they were. And sometimes it was a little more obvious because they would say things like, look, dad, he has tattoos, or again, he's smoking, or he said a bad word, and then they would follow it up by saying something like, so he's bad, isn't he, Dad? Well, I knew I had some work to do and some teaching to do. For some reason, there's, there's kind of a fear towards those that we see as being different. Sometimes we have a predisposition to judge them negatively because they are different. Maybe doing things that we wouldn't necessarily do, or doing things that we don't agree with. As you go to school, young people, there will no doubt be many that are very different from you. Those that will look different. Those that will dress different. Those that will talk different. Those that will like different things. Those that will do different things from how you would do them. And those that will act differently. And as you have noticed, somehow those that are similar to you will gravitate to you and you to them. And that's how little groups are formed in schools. Groups like jocks or drama kids or band kids or cheerleaders or dance company, DECA, Latinos in Action, Hope Squads, baseball kids, football kids, tennis, student government, and on and on and on. 
right? Our schools are made up of little microgroups that are all kind of similar, but yet these groups are different from each other. I believe the principle the Lord is trying to teach here is that it is important that we reach outside of ourselves and outside of our comfort zones. The gospel was meant for everyone and for us to look at everyone as God looks at everyone with eyes of love and understanding and patience and acceptance. And so this year, I want to give you a challenge, and that is to try to branch out a little bit further than just those you're comfortable with or those that you have things in common with. Try to connect with others you don't know as well or who you may not have as much in common with. Don't let those that are different from you stay different from you. Find things that you have in common. Make new friends. Find ways to love their differences. Think about how boring the world would be if we were all the same. I want you to listen to this poem and think about how it applies to all of this. It's a poem titled, First They Came. And it's a poem from 1946, kind of a post-war confessional prose by the German Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller. It's about the cowardness of German intellectuals in certain clergy, including by his own admission himself. As you know, the history, part of the, the rise of, of the Nazis to power was their purging of those that they viewed as being different from them. And they would go from group after group after group. The poem goes like this. First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was none left to speak out for me. I love that kind of simple poem because of the message that it teaches. If we don't protect each other's right to live and how we choose to live within the laws of, of our land, then we're on dangerous ground and may find ourselves without anyone left to fight for us one day. It's important that we learn to be okay with each other's differences and to even fight for each other's right to be different. And it's also important to mention that there, I believe, can be acceptance of a person's right to live how they choose without personally accepting how they choose to live. I know sometimes that gets a little difficult to figure out, but I don't think it has to be quite as difficult as we make it out to be. Listen to what the prophet Joseph said once on occasion in relation to this. He obviously knew a little bit about per being persecuted and shamed and rejected for what he believed. In fact, he was killed because of it. But he said on one occasion about his belief in allowing others to believe how they choose, If it has been demonstrated that I have been willing to die for my faith, then I am bold to declare before heaven that I am just as ready to die in defending the rights of a Presbyterian, a Baptist, or a good man of any denomination for the same principle which would trample upon the rights of those in my faith, would trample upon the rights of the Roman Catholics, or any other denomination who may be unpopular and too weak to defend themselves. It is a love of liberty which inspires my soul, civil and religious liberty to the whole of the human race. Or in other words, everyone's right to be different. Again, young people, this coming year, there's going to be different people in your schools. You're going to be a part of different groups. But remember that everything is better when we come together. I love to, to go to high school football games because 
to me, that is where one of the places in high school where everything kind of comes together. At least we, we see some semblance of it. We have those that are on the football team. We have the band there. We have the cheerleaders. We have the dance company. We have those that are good at, at technical things. We have those that are good at math, running the, the statistics and the, the sideline chains. And, and we have those that love to cook or, or, you know, or doing business. And just There are different aspects all throughout the game that come together and make it such an amazing experience. That's the way that it's meant to be. And that's what the gospel has the ability to do and hopefully can do for each of us. It can break down barriers and help us to reach outside of ourselves to connect with others, even if they are different. And to have the ability to love others, even if we don't always agree with how they're choosing to live their life or what they're choosing to do. Now, a couple key questions for you to consider on this concept of God is no respecter of persons is first of all, what does it mean to you to not be a respecter of persons? And maybe a good place to try to apply this is who is there in your life that you see as being different? And what can you do to be more accepting of them? Maybe what does it look like to balance being accepting of a person without accepting what they do? How can we show Christ-like love to those that are different from us? Those that are of different religions, different uh, political views, different cultures, different skin colors, different views on life, different views on football teams, (laughs) or whatever else it might be. How can you personally help those around you that are different feel more accepted and loved? And lastly, how can thinking of others as a son or daughter of God help with all of this? The last principle that I want to take a look at is in chapter 12, where we learn a little bit of the story of Peter being delivered out of prison. It seemed to happen quite a bit with the, with the apostles. Herod has taken Peter and thrown him into prison. In verse 6, when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. In other words, Peter was under lock and key, and Herod did obviously done everything that he could to make sure Peter didn't get away. He was having him sleep between two guards. There were guards on the outside. Key was in a safe, secure place. Well, verse 7, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Rise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. I think he was probably thinking he was having a dream. Verse 10, And when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his, of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel. And hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Just a great miracle. And one of the things I want to draw your attention to is in verse 5. One of the reasons why I believe this miracle was performed. Look at what was happening while Peter was in prison. Verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. I just want to end today by impressing on you young people's minds a little bit of the importance and the significance of prayer. That prayer works. Miracles happen. That the Lord is a deliverer 
In fact, he's known by that name, the Deliverer. This is what he does, and prayer is an active agent in the process of deliverance. Elder Hales, in a talk titled, Waiting Upon the Lord Thy Will Be Done, said, In my life I have learned that sometimes I do not receive an answer to a prayer because the Lord knows I'm not ready. When he does answer, it is often here little and there little. Peter didn't fully know, and I want you to pay attention to this, what that first revelation meant that we studied earlier about the gospel being taken to the Gentiles. He didn't know exactly what was happening to him as he was making his way out of prison, but little by little, things were done and things were understood and light was received. And that's often how God works, is a little at a time, here little and there little. As other hills said, because that is all I can bear or I'm willing to do. Too often we pray to have patience, but we want it right now. As a young man, President David O. McKay prayed for a witness of the truthfulness of the gospel. Many years later, while he was serving his mission in Scotland, that witness finally came. Later, he wrote, it was an assurance to me that sincere prayer is answered sometime, somewhere. (laughs) We may not know when or how the Lord's answers will be given, but in his time and his way, I testify his answers will come. For some answers, we may have to wait until the hereafter. This may be true for some promises in our patriarchal blessings and for some blessings for family members. But let us not give up on the Lord. His blessings are eternal, not temporary. And for me, those are all the reasons why we should follow the example of the saints back in the ancient church and pray with similar faith and pray unceasingly. My hope for you young people is that you recognize that, yes, there will be challenges, even like with Peter being thrown in prison, even when you're trying to go about doing good or just trying to be good. There will be times and places and things that you will need help and deliverance from and in. During those times, I hope that you'll remember this story and remember the power of prayer. Recently, for me personally, I have been and was in a situation where I needed help financially. I needed deliverance financially. Over a year ago, I left the job that I was working at for a little over five years and was trying to find something that would be a good fit for what I wanted to do and was trying to do in my life at this particular point in time. And it's been a struggle and it's been a challenge. And there have been times where I had no idea where money was going to come from. Fortunately, I had money saved up that I was able to use, but I knew that it wouldn't last forever. And so I've prayed and I've prayed and I've worked and I've worked hoping that something at some point in time would happen that would allow me to do what I love and would meet my needs. Well, literally on the last month that I had left to basically live off of my savings, after over a year of trying and looking and praying, I received my first check from a new job that will be a perfect fit for what I'm trying to do. This is how God operates. (laughs) He will push you a bit and ask you to trust him a lot. There might be times that you'll wonder if he's really there and listening, if he'll really show up for you when you need him the most. But I testify to you that he will. He might not in the way that you want him to or think that he should, but he will in the way that is best for you. And in the right time and in the right way, he will deliver you from whatever you are in need of deliverance from. I love the power that I have access to when I pray. I love the way that prayer connects me with God 
and the way it connects him to me. I believe that we can come to feel each individually as C.S. Lewis described about prayer when he said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Now, a couple of questions to end on this week, as it, especially as it relates to prayer. First of all, how have you experienced the power of prayer in your life? What blessings have you seen come to you from it? How has God answered your prayers in the past? How has He answered your prayers differently from what you thought or, or how you wanted Him to? What does it mean to you to pray without ceasing? What is something that you've been asking for help with or deliverance from that hasn't happened yet? And maybe most importantly, how can you apply this story and these principles to that situation? How can you make your prayers more meaningful and impactful to your relationship with Heavenly Father? I hope some of these thoughts and principles and even questions for you to consider have been helpful this week and will be helpful as you go through and study these chapters on your own. As always, recognize, I hope you recognize the importance and the significance of revelation personally and in God's church and the significance and the role that the prophet has in helping us to access that revelation and that guidance. I hope that you'll better see the importance of defending those that are different, of looking for them, of finding them, of connecting with them and loving them and accepting them. And lastly, in your study this week, I hope you will also recognize the significance and the power of prayer and its ability to connect us to God and bring about blessings and help and support and comfort and peace and deliverance when needed. As always, that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So as always, let's follow Him better this week and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.